Hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here with Katrina McKinnon from Copysmiths, and we're going to talk about how to create great website SEO content. So the first question I have for you, Katrina, is, is content so important? So the, there's more and more of the page is being taken up from by adverts on, on the Google search results page. What is the opportunity for businesses, for e-commerce businesses to drive traffic? I believe, Trevor, that content is still massively important for the search engines because after all, the search engines are just looking for, they're they're looking for content and content is always either product image or it's product description. It's even the buy buttons. It's all the little bits that you put in the footer and the header of your page. So it's um, content is always what Google is actually crawling. And yes, Google's trying to take up a lot of real estate um, with its own ads, um, its own revenue sort of based content. But to get to that revenue based content, it's still got to have organic traffic. And it's always a balance. So it's one of those things where um, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket with just paid um, advertising and you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket with just content. So it's always a balance. The most successful e-commerce stores tend to have around 60% of their traffic coming in from organic. So those are the okay. largest stores. Okay. So is that still, um, what is that down from where it used to be? Or is I'm guessing that the paid search has become more important as it has taken up more of the real estate on the page. I think it does, but Google, um, the thing with paid search is that people think it's more sort of important, but that's because it comes with a little dashboard that tells you your conversion rate. So paid search has always had these tools that the engineers use and they pump all the money into it and it goes up like a fancy rock into it. The rocket ship keeps flying, but really at the end of the day, um, Google doesn't offer us tools to manipulate the conversion rates on content. So content and organic traffic is kind of this bit of a, it's they call it a dark ROI because it's so hard to work out whether it works. And I sort of always say to people that I work with, I always say, look, you'll know if it works. If content's working for you, you'll know it because it comes in a rush and you can uh, very much rely on organic traffic to stabilize traffic in your business if the algorithms are changing in the paid traffic or in um, social media. So, yeah. So, proportion, so you say that up to 60%, so what would be an average on, because my, my e-commerce store gets about 10% of its traffic from SEO, despite enormous amounts of money and time being spent in it, we've never really managed to get it up. Not since, kind yeah. of, we used to do better before Panda. What would be kind of an average? What would be something to aim for? Um, 60%, 60 percent is pretty healthy or at least 50% because it gives you that stable uh, factor. So with your store, I haven't had a close look at your store, but you don't have a blog and your blog is in sort of your blog articles are in slabs of text and I can show you how to make it more. I can tell you how to make it more search engine friendly and reader friendly. But, um, you know, I've always um, in my e-commerce store that I've run, I've always relied 100% on organic traffic because I was never very good at paid advertising. I was never good at, very good at manipulating those tools, but I was really good at content. So, and other e-commerce store owners I know, particularly drop shippers, when they've got very tight margins, they will have a hundred percent direct or um, referral traffic. So, okay, so different types of content. So you've got an e-commerce site, you've got you know, a blog, you've got, and you've got products. Um, product yeah. So what kind of proportion of traffic would you say should come from each or would come from each? 
Uh, I don't know about that really in terms of it just really depends on your model. So if you're selling the hippest shoes on the planet that are brand new and you're trying to create a market for these very particular shoes that, I don't know, somehow squeegees attached to them, you have to make that market share with paid advertising because no one's typing into the search engine squeegee, you know, sneakers. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if, but if there's already market share, so if you're selling strollers, for example, there's already market share, people know what a stroller is for a baby store and they're typing in strollers. And so at that point you can use um, organic traffic to make sales. So you can write a lot of content about strollers, but you know, squeegee sneakers is a silly idea, but um, you have to make market share with that, with paid traffic. So in that case, you would barely get any organic traffic. So we have clients who come to us who have, you know, brand new products in their niche that no one's talking about on the internet. And so we have to create uh, content around other concerns that those customers might have. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so what are the okay? What are the the best kind of contents to content to publish? Well, you know, if you've got a you've got an e-commerce website, what is the what is the strategy you would first look at? Okay, so the easiest thing to start with is listicles. So listicles are the top 10 ways to um, use a stroller or the top 10 ideas for finding the safest stroller for your child. And that format still works very well. You can use it to compare products. You can use it to just um, share ideas about the um, problems that someone might have with buying a stroller or what they're thinking about. And you can even use a listicle format to just ask, 10 or 20 questions about strollers and then just respond. So Q and A sort of style. So listicles definitely the way to go as just a starting point if people are just starting out. They need to be about 1400 words and they need to be quite visual. So you can't have slabs of text going down the page. You have to break it up with pictures and images and tables and lists and quotations and testimonials and all sorts of other elements. But a listicle is definitely the place to start. That 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 template still works very well for people okay and so what about that so what other kind of contents are there what's your top five types of, of content so we do so another one that's really cool is and it works really well but not many others do it because i don't know just one of those things 100 and way 101 way so we have um at copy smiths we have this template that's called 100 ways to xyz when I ran my own store, we used to sell gazebos, which is that, you know, um, portable market store kind of thing. And all I did was one day we created um, an article that was 101 ways to gazebo. And there were like, it's probably about three columns and, you know, 99 rows. And it was just small pictures of all the different types. Have. And so people got a lot of inspiration from that type of content. So that content alone was the reason why we sort of dominated in that particular brand for about eight years in Australia. And so very visual content like that. I think that people often just create content that's just text-based. And that's what I'm trying to say is that you can get text-based content from content mills and, and SEO firms tend to just produce content that's very text-heavy. Whereas if you add images and you add listicle, or you add lists and you add tables, it becomes a dance and a flow down the page. And so subsequently you have a, a lower bounce rate, higher okay. dwell time. So about, obviously you've got the point of view of you know, writing the, the text for Google and you've got to write a text that people like, like reading. So what yeah. is the, you know, obviously you need to, you need to write text that's going to get picked up at Google to get the traffic, but then you need to write something which is actually readable to get people to get to the bottom of the page. Yeah. And, and to click through to things. What, what do you think is the right balance? 
Um, well, this oh, what's the right balance? What between images and the text? Well, no, no, what's the you know? So you're saying that you're you're saying that it's important. You know, Google says that you need to write content for the the you know for the for the reader, right? And that's yeah. what they say that they they yeah. go for. Now, obviously, they, you know you can there's there's you know writing a piece of text which is stuffed with keywords that Google yeah, no. helps, which I'm guessing which is the thing. Google doesn't like SEO content. Google doesn't like SEO. It doesn't like to be manipulated. It watches the engagement signals on your page. So it works out whether what you've written is garbage or whether it's interesting for someone because it just picks up on those signals out of your analytics account. And -hmm. then it sends you more traffic if people stay on your page. And I can just tell you that no one, no one on the planet wants to read just slabs of boring text. So, so you just have to make when it. You're writing, when you're writing content, do you, how do you, what, what process do you go through? So tell me about the process of writing, say, a listicle. How would you decide the topic? How would you decide the keywords to use? And how would you um, know when you've written a good piece of content? Okay. So to t- decide on the keywords, we literally just go into a tool such as Ahrefs. You can use um, any of those sorts of tools. And we just find out what people are searching for in the search engine. And so whatever you sell, so if you sell baby strollers, it might be, um, they might be searching for, I don't know, easily washable baby strollers. And we see that keyword. And then what we do is we combine it with something that is interesting to that person who's looking for that. So it might be um, 10 ways to easily wash your stroller. And so that's yeah. an informative article. And then at that point, we just write an introduction. <laughs> so how many keywords would you have? Uh, do you have a key like a theme? Or so how do you have a theme, or do you have a number of keywords, or what do you? How do you decide? How do you decide the number of keywords that you? So I'm making you ill. Um, Sorry, I've got a cold. Um, how do we decide the number of keywords? Yeah, we don't. But you, you did research. How do you decide? Because I'm under the impression that these days you shouldn't keep when you know people used to talk about a keyword density and stuff like that. Is it more about having a kind of a theme with a certain number of keywords and how important is it to, how would you decide the distribute the number of keywords to have in the text and the distribution of those keywords? A lot of people use uh, tools like Surfer, SEO and Phrase.io. And those tools, I think, make a footprint that Google can see because if everyone's typing in baby strollers and create, generating a document about baby strollers, it's the same 30 keywords that, are, you know, Surfer SEO says you must use these in your document. So, you certainly pay a little bit of attention to it, but you don't let it override the reader's experience of your content. I'm okay. sorry about all the coughing. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, so um, how often should um, how often should you publish? So you know, if you've got like a, a you know, SEO is a long term thing. What, what what should you create some sort of program for publishing things? What's the best way of making it making a success? Once a week, yeah. a minimum. So Google literally says in its advanced blogger guidelines, write well and often, mm-hmm. a frequently updated website. And then it goes on to talk about how it wants rich media in those articles, but it talks about a frequently updated website. And it doesn't matter if it's once a month or once a week, but it's got to be good quality content. But the cadence has to be regular because Google Googlebot comes around and checks your website again at a fairly reasonable cadence to see whether anything is new. So regular just means once a week, once a month, twice a week if you really want to be competitive, something like that. Okay, so twice a week, so once or twice a week is, is, is best. I had to, okay, so what is the best way of creating content? So, you know, is it is it something we should, you know, companies could do in-house or should they hire a company like your 
good copysmith's company or there's i've been contacted by a lot of um ai content creation tools yeah yeah I'm there's lots of that deeply suspicious of what, 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 what can you comment on those three those three options yeah. So um, getting an in-house writer, it's very, very difficult to maintain uh, creativity and because in-house writers tend to burn out after a while. Um, they An in-house writer, because I've done this myself, an in-house writer can maybe produce one or two articles a week, which is pretty good, but they do tend to burn out. You can get um, writing companies like ours because we tend to scale and we tend to have processes and quality controls. But then AIs can also have their place, but you just need to be very careful with AIs because they tend to sound like robots. Um, and again, other people are using them to generate the same sort of content. So it depends on your budget, depends on your needs, the size of your store, and you know your preferences for actually managing someone in-house or outsourcing. Okay. So what do you think about, because I... I... I'm a bit suspicious of AI tools, as in I think that they can get you some of the way there, and I think that they're quite good for things like, I mean, we've got a, um, I've, I've become really keen on Grammarly recently. It just, it just transformed my writing, because I realised that I'm functionally illiterate. And yeah, right. Um, I also got very keen, I found a, a, a paraphrasing tool called Quillbot. Now, this is fantastic. You can just take a bit of text and, and paraphrase it. What, what are your kind of top tips for tools that people can use? Um, we don't really use those sorts of tools. We've looked at Grammarly very closely. And again, we found that Grammarly would make incorrect suggestions and it would also affect our natural flow. So we've really tried to use a lot of those tools, but I have heard about Quillbot and this Jarvis as well. And I'm not against using them for, for other people. It's just that we tend to be very creative with our work. We tend to hire authors and poets and people like that. Um, we have a very um, comprehensive training system and a very uh, strict sort of guidelines to how we write within our business. And those tools don't fit within our human centric way of working but yeah. they can be used really really well like for but bits and pieces of them they can absolutely enhance someone's work and particularly if you've got an in-house writer um it can make um a lot you know it can act as an editor so to speak but we have human editors for example but it, they're all you know they i know i'm sort of not being sort of definitive but they do suit people for different purposes yeah i mean i i, I tell you what i think they're good for is that i uh, is the certainly the cut down on on on, on um, proofreading time so, definitely yeah, i think yeah. that and i i mean we we had a professional you know our seo company got some articles written for us and they clearly didn't use something like grammarly and there yeah. were some mistakes in their work yeah. which i think given the amount of money i was paying was unforgivable yeah. you know they should be yeah. i'm expecting to get something if i'm paying a few yeah. hundred quid for it i expect it to be spell checked and and, and grammatical and have zero Absolutely. mistakes in it and I think that a, a you know, it, 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 it's, it's a very quick way of, of checking that. And I also, I wrote a book and I found that I probably saved myself hundreds of pounds of yeah, definitely. proofreading by, yeah. by going through it with these, with, with these tools that really, you know, cut down a lot of time. So I'm, um, and it also made me realize quite, I had a problem and um, it has actually made me a much better writer. Um, so, okay, no, so they've definitely got their place. They've absolutely got their place, but you just have to not 100% rely on them. That's yes. all. Yes. I mean, I think that it's like all these, these AI tools are great for, you know, speeding things up, I think. Um, so what about um, getting content read? So you've, you've, you've created the, the content uh, on the website. Obviously, we've talked about how to get it. Well, I don't know. We talked enough about how to optimize it and get it picked up by Google. 
Um, Google loves right. images. Like I keep sort of saying this, Google loves um, bite-sized chunks of content. So it likes to see that you're directly answering a question. So if you pose a question in an article, it likes to see a direct response. It's pretty simple like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. to get it read, um, it will naturally show up in the search engines if you answer the question that is being posed in the article title. So, you know, what's the easiest, what's the best way to clean a stroller? If you literally answer that without fluff, your article will eventually rank in the search okay. engines. So what about um, uh, the best place? So you, once you've, you've written the content, what are the best places to, to post it? So well, it, yeah. Um, Organic what, social just doesn't work anymore. So that's a really tricky thing. So organic social doesn't work. You know, once you've got an account that's got a paid um, account attached to it, the algorithm tends to um, kind of clip your organic reach because it wants you to pay more. So um, I've heard from some colleagues that what they're doing now is they will separate their two accounts out. So if they're running a, you know, a baby store, they'll have one account in Instagram where they have ads attached to it and, you know, organic content as well, but they'll have another account that is purely organic that they never ever uh, touch with ads. Okay. That one tends to get more engagement and reach. That's one what of about, the tactics that people are so, doing. Okay. I mean, what, you know, so there's in, in terms of platforms, well, you know, is it, which which platforms were you were you posted on? Facebook, Twitter, mm. um, yeah. Medium. Yeah. Posted on that. Yeah, you can you can reproduce articles on Medium. I've seen um, other bloggers who will literally put all their articles on WordPress.com, Blogger, all those other platforms, and then link back to the original source, which is usually on their own channel. Okay, so Google can, in terms of duplicate content, will Google, but they won't create a Google a duplicate content penalty. I don't know. Like, um, I don't think anyone really knows. A lot of people are trying it and they try it for a while. It's risky. Like, I think if you want to keep your brand for 10 years, it's something that you'd maybe steer clear of. But if you're, you know, if you've got, you know, squeegee sneakers and you're just looking for a one hit wonder for the next six months, then you can try those sorts of things and get to the top of the rankings. Okay. So how would you measure success with an article? Um, we measure success. Yeah. What is it? Is it the you know, and how? What are the tools you would use, and what would you expect? A yeah, how would you do it? So what we tend to do is an article is successful if it starts showing up for keywords. So a really successful article might show up for maybe two hundred keywords. An incredible article will show up for over a thousand keywords, okay. and an okay that, article will show up for twenty keywords. So is that due to the general quality of the site, or is that due to you know, if you've obviously got a, a new site? Um, will will that mean that the articles won't show up as much as a much older site, which has got a lot more quality content on it? Yeah, it's got a lot to do with your um, on-page SEO, your technical SEO throughout your site as well. You've got to have the whole package. Okay. So con content alone, you know, content alone won't save you. Content is just one part of having a healthy store that provides answers to your customers. So you've got to, you've, you know, you've got to be doing all the right things. You can't get away with a rubbish logo or poorly written product descriptions. You still have to have, you know, you, an about page, your about us page is super important. A contact page is super important for Google to see that that's who you are. It's all about that Google EAT and the authority. So content like in a blog is really just one component, but you know, to measure the success of that, 
you've just you'll see you'll see that um, your organic starts going up you'll work out which articles are ranking quite well which are getting most of the traffic and then you just repeat those lessons so if one type of uh, content on one type of topic you just sort of say well that one worked really well what i'm going to do is i'm going to make something similar for another product in my range okay so and presumably you then look at the the you know on, on analytics you'll be able to see the the but would you, which, what kind of tool would you use to see the keywords you're working for? We use hrefs.com. Um, there's, there's a whole host of other tools out there. There's some that are a lot cheaper. I can't sort of this one called keysearch.io or something. Um, there's also Moz. There's a whole range of these tools yeah. where you can see the rankings, the, the sort of the pseudo rankings, because they're not, they're, all they're doing is scraping Google. So they're only as good as their own scraping and their own index. Yeah. So it's just a, um, it's a proxy. It's a proxy for Google. But what we tend to do is we stick with one tool and we know that if we stick with that one tool, then everything else we measure is relative to that tool's, you know, scraping ability and its rating system. Okay. And how long does it all take? I mean, what, what's the kind of commitment yeah. that, that you should have in, if you're starting to create content? So if you've got a store with, so we've got experience with this, if you've got a store with a million visitors a year, you can expect to see your content ranking within about two weeks, because that's how quickly the algorithm comes back around. If you've got a brand new store, it'll often take five to six months for you to see any upwards trajectory from the content that's been created. And if you've got a middling store that maybe, you know, you might be getting, let's say 20,000 visitors a month, maybe 10,000, 20,000 visitors a month, then you can expect to see results from content about a month to six weeks afterwards. But again, if you were to publish 10 articles on a store, maybe only two or three of them will really work well and the others won't do anything. So it's a bit of a hit and miss and we still don't really know why some content doesn't rank whereas others do. Okay. It's like Google Black Box. Yeah, totally the whole my Google Black Box. Just, my life is just uh, ruled by black boxes. I find it quite exhausting. <laughs> Because going to building houses or something that I know it's actually happened. Like yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. No, we've got no idea what's going on. Everyone's making it up, you know. Yeah. Everyone's that's, making that's, it up. Best guess. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. Last question. Um, what is in this? Is just you can say whatever you like about this. What anything which has inspired you recently? Have you read a good book? Seen any good films? Bit excited well, about the Australian. Anderson's. I'm enjoying Wes Anderson's work. We just um, his movies. I just watched The French Dispatch the other day, and the colours and the creativity and the beauty and the imagery and, and the fact that he really owns his own style. Like I, you know, and, and the storytelling that he does as well. You know, I love that sort of stuff. So that's what's inspiring me. I'm actually a big Wes Anderson fan, but I, th I find yeah. I find about. Um, Half a, a few of his films, I thought of just the best films ever made. So yeah. I thought that the Grand Hotel Budapest is like my favourite film. I just thought it was yeah. so so completely brilliant. Every scene is a masterpiece. Every yeah. line is a masterpiece. The French Dispatch, I didn't really get on with. No. Uh, I, okay. I just didn't make any sense, and I got to the end of it. What was all that about? And I, I think really because it was a newspaper. It. I think it was because it was a newspaper and these stories and uh, journalism. Just, I loved that part yeah, of it. I just thought, what? Well, I don't know. I couldn't really tell you what it was about. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, I really love. Yes. I really Is that love the one, that. the submarine one? No, that's um, The Aquatic Life of Steve Suzuki. Oh, yes, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it the first time I saw it. And then the second time I saw it, I saw it with some friends. And I was like, oh, I must watch this. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't think it was that great. 
I think that so, um, with him, I'm always watching his new film, hoping it's going to be as good as one of his best films. Yeah. And I just, I, I, so the, the, the one which I, the two which I've watched repeatedly are Walton and Barnes and the Grand Budapest. Yeah. Couple of Pest. And just, yeah. Um, but I love the colours that he uses. It's always this particular yellow and a particular aqua, aquamarine colour that he uses. Well, everything's framed as well. You can just see the shots. Yeah. He's got two people standing. In and the he's shot. cutaways as well. You yeah. know his cutaways? Yeah, they're very yeah, cool. Yeah, it's got, because um, in particular the French Dispatch, so we're talking a bit off topic here, uh, particularly in the French, uh, his tracking shots were amazing in that film. I mean, he's clearly got bigger budgets these days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and he gets a little star cast, but and it's kind of interesting to see the same stars, you know, turn up each time for his films. I wonder how he does making, it sometimes. He's making a film of uh, The Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar. That's his next film. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Katrina, lovely to speak to you. Um, Thank you, Trevor. So your company is Copysmiths and you you help people write great content. Yep. Your, your we we provide um, blog articles for e-commerce stores. Okay. Yeah. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Trevor.